Hey, what's up, y'all? Another episode of Ready, Set, Go! So our first guest we have today, we have Will Collins, mastermind of the sprints, and Pico's dad. Yeah, appreciate you, appreciate you. Thanks and for our, having me. Our, our second guest we have today on set, we have Marlon Odom, hurdle coach extraordinaire. Um, first off, we want to give a shout out to our presenting sponsors, Prize Picks. If you're into fantasy sports and you want to get the right picks, go to prizepicks.com. So let's get started, guys. Marlon, tell us a little bit about your background. Well, you follow up with it, man. What's going on? I mean, yeah, we just get straight into it. Uh, like, the thing is, I was born in Germany. So for me, it was just uh, a thing to where I would say <clears throat> just getting here um, after I think about my, I think I was like five or six years old when I ended up, ended up coming to the States. Mm -hmm. um, but I just, I like to, I guess I would say, give a lot of praise to that being and being leading into like the becoming of what I am now. You know what I'm saying? So for me, it was like growing up in Germany was just a lot different. You know what I'm saying? I was, lots, my dad was stationed in uh, Schwabisch Hall, which is like near the Stuttgart area um, on base. But at the time, my mom was working on base too. So I grew up really with my grandma off base. So you really lived in like Germany, like yes. you wasn't on no yeah, the boys military speak German, base. German, yes. like the boys speak German like right now. Yeah, 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 yeah like fluent German. Like, let's like, hear something. Hold on, let, let, what you what you guys say to the audience, man? What you gonna say? <laughs> also, willkommen erstmal zu diesem Podcast mit Justin und Will. Und uh, yeah, ich bin That's what I'm talking about. We international, you hear that? We international. <laughs> Subtitles for this man. Subtitles. <laughs> but uh, no, like um. In all honesty, it was just, you know, I, it was really just German for me in the beginning because I, like I said, I didn't see my, my dad barely, you know, a lot at all because he was always, you know, out and about. And my mom, you know, she would come home after a full day of work. So I'm with my grandma the whole time watching TV, watching uh, Formula One because it was so big, watching tennis because those was like. So what age were you at at that point in time? Uh, I was probably like at that time, like maybe. I think three, three or four years old at the time. So hold up. So you really grew up in Germany mm -hmm. and then you, cause I know you ran track. Yeah. You ran for Texas Tech. Yeah. You hurdled for Texas Tech as well. Yeah. So at some point you moved back to the States and then moved back to Germany? No, no, no. So I, I moved, like I said, I moved to the, to, to the States cause my dad got stationed in Fort Hood. Okay. In Colleen, Texas. So um, I was about five or six years old when that happened. Just in, in time for me to go to first grade. And then from there on, it was just like, I was still trying to get basically caught up with the actual English language because German was my actual first language. Mm -hmm. So I didn't get to speak it a lot when I was in German uh, in Germany. So for me, it was just like trying to pick up on those things, not under really understanding everything um, from like a like a school perspective state. Yeah. So uh, because my mom kept that German on me, you know what I mean. And uh, getting here, so the first year I actually got here, they put me in one of those foreign. Uh, the ESL, ESL classes. ESL classes, right? Um, so look, look, hold on real quick. I don't mean to... <laughs> Tell her what it is, Will. Tell her what the look, real I don't want to just jump in on your story, look. <laughs> but I'm, I don't know if y'all know, I'm, I'm Korean as well. So I'm from, I'm from a foreign place. I was born in Korea. Similar story yeah. to him. And they put me in that same ESL classes. Stop doing that, bro. Just because we done came out here from a different language, we don't mean we got to be in the ESL classes. Yeah. And you know, it wasn't nothing but Mexicans in there. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> I'm over here, like, at a high level, can, can 
study at a high level, but I just don't know the language because I haven't had an opportunity to speak. Hold on, did y'all know y'all was in ELS 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 classes when y'all got to the classes? No, no, no. That's how school was. We just pulled up and it's like they they took me out of my regular class and said, "Hey, hold on, let me let me get you over here." And I'm like, "Hold on, bro." And I told my mom, "They got me in this class with number Mexicans," and I'm like, "What's going on?" And then they took me out like two days later. Like, those kids actually understands how to learn English and he's trying to learn English, I, I guess. So it, did either one of y'all know English very well when you first came? Like, just roughly. Rough. You know rough. what I mean? And I just, I, same thing. Like, I just, my mom said, you know, they gave her the option. They said, we can, you know, maneuver him up through the, through the first to second grade. Or what you can do is, because they actually tried to just put me in first grade. And then like halfway through this, the year, they realized, I don't know if he's really understanding everything. Mm, and then it got okay. to a point where they was like, okay, well, we're going to put him in this class. Yeah. And I remember actually getting put in that class and I'm just like, okay, it was, what's wrong with me? Is there something, what, am I dumb? <laughs> uh, is something wrong with me? But, uh, yeah. So you reality, keep in going, you going to lunch, you seen all these other kids, all these other American kids, yeah. black, white, yeah. having a good time. And then you go into class. With, with other students that don't speak a lot of English. Yep, everybody got an accent. Yes. <laughs> and you, it's like, like he said, you think you're in a special class or you think you're something different, you know? Yeah, what yeah. I mean? So then it just makes you feel some kind of way. You're like, man, what, what did I do wrong, basically? Yeah. Yeah. So how did y'all, did y'all meet up in class? How did y'all even meet up? Well, Because you moved to Colleen. I moved to Colleen. You're from Colleen. No, no, no. I'm from Korea. I was born well, I mean, in Korea. Well, you, you was born in Korea, but you moved to Colleen as well. Yeah, yeah. same like him. I came yeah. when I was like in second grade. So I was like eight years old. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then we met. Uh, I knew of him since like middle school because yeah. he's always been good in sports, and I've been pretty. I was around dudes that were good at sports, so like you know, I knew of him. I don't know if he knew of me, but then eventually we got in high school. Then we all knew each other because mm -hmm. we were in sports. Okay, and and, and Colleen being as small as it, as small as it is, ain't yeah, a lot two of people high coming out. And it grew to four. Yeah, it grew to four. So everybody kind of knew everybody. Yeah, you know, what I mean, being military, even if you weren't like military family, you were on base. Uh, like it okay. was a thing They go on base I mean that's where they had Like all the The YMCA's You know what I'm saying yeah. All the You know like Anytime the we did PX play, and Yeah PX's And all commissary. the stuff That, that kind of brought Everybody together Yeah you know we lived a different lifestyle We would have to drive From off base And then go on base You had to have your ID card And then mm -hmm. you had to sign in When you got on base yeah. So were y'all Did y'all miss Did you miss Germany Did you miss Korea When y'all left I didn't want to leave Korea. I never wanted to come to the What's United Korea States. like? For people who to live there, because a lot of people go, a lot of people are interested to go. What's Korea like? Man, look, bro. I, I grew up and I woke up and we had no Hold AC. Up, South Korea, right? I, South Korea. Yeah, right, I was born. I, was, I, was I hope it's not North. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> Kim? <laughs> you ain't getting out of there. <laughs> I got a crazy story about that, but. Yeah. I was born in uh, Taegu, South Korea. And then like, it's like a mountainous area. 70% of South Korea is mountainous. Mm -hmm. So like it's all mountains, fresh fruits growing. So I used to eat off the trees. We used to do all that. We had no AC. You know, we grew up pretty poor. I was like a third world country poor, not like even McDonald's poor. McDonald's would be like a step up for us. You know what I mean? So basically rice was the entree. Bro, we had no toiletry, bro. <laughs> like I had a house that had paper doors. If you wanted to get inside oh, my house, rice you could papers. just- Yeah, rice paper doors. Yeah. And you could just punch your finger through it and slide through my door. <laughs> that's how, that's the house I lived in. Real? I, for real. Wow. I grew up like that. that. So it was like, you know, I grew up, you know, in a poor village and stuff like that. And it, but we never knew we was poor because we always had food. And my dad, we had American money too. So like when you had American money, it was way more than the Korean currency. Mm -hmm. You so had a little the, more flexibility. Bruh. So I, yeah. I was carrying like $6 a day. Bo, like to buy a meal, a toy, 
and, 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 and everything I needed for a day, it probably four dollars. Mm. Wow. That that's how that's how much the American dollar was uh, you know, valued higher than the Korean won at that time. So, you know, that whole experience in Korea was for one, I learned about, you know, just village mentality, which is taking care of people, taking care of uh the people that are under you, like people that are poorer than you. So like the kids that were really poor, poor who used to like live in the same diaper for like weeks at a time. Mm. These kids, you know, will be my friends and I would have to feed them and I would have to like give them my toys and, and give them stuff because we're together. We're going to share and we're going to have fun today together. Yeah. So that, my mom taught me that. We learned that from that a very early age that, you know, be like that, be sharing and be in a mm -hmm. village mindset. In that environment, I could have gotten beaten by anybody within a probably almost a 15 mile radius and I could have got fed by anybody. In about the fifteen miles. So you was you really lived a. It takes a, a village to raise a child. I lived in a village. Mm -hmm. I was the black kid in the village. Yeah. Oh, you still got like a sore thumb for real. I was the black kid in the village. That's how so it was, was for it, me. How was that for exactly y'all? Being being black in Germany, being yeah. black in Korea, did y'all feel like y'all face at an early age any kind of racism or what differences? Well, yeah, I mean, right away. I'm just asking. You yeah, know yeah, what I'm saying? Right, like, right, like sometimes when you go overseas. A lot of people overseas and a lot of, they show you love. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because nah. you are unique. You mm -hmm. are different. Well, I wasn't, like I said, I'm from a smaller, I guess, village too. Like it's, it's, it's a smaller city, right? Um, and it's just, like I said, you get up every day and you actually walk into town. I'm, I remember walking like miles with my grandmother into town and she would get what we were going to eat that day because everything was fresh, right? So it's mm -hmm. a whole thing. Yep. So we're walking down this this uh, this whole down giant hill, hill, down the hill, up into the pocket. Everybody's <laughs> speaking to my to my grandma. So and, she, they got, I don't know. and they got corners, street corners, and everybody just be linking up on the yeah, little corner. and everybody knows you. So yeah. it's like, how you doing, Miss Esther? How you doing? That was you know, you know yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Like you, it's like a, it's like a person that does the. They sell rugs. Everybody that rode up the mountain and bought a rug from this person mm -hmm. for their house. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, so, it's like that. Yeah. yeah. That was like a whole thing that we did every day. And yeah. we'd come, I remember we'd, we'd leave early in the morning. Did y'all have credit? Village credit? Yeah. Like she, sometimes she So you wouldn't have to pay way. for nothing. Yeah. So you could just go into the store. They know your dad gonna come every day, right? Because he coming back from work. Uh, he gonna take care of the bill. Mm -hmm. He just write it down and say, yo, your son had this today. Yep. And my dad come back and pay it. That's so y'all was, was almost like in a time capsule, bro. Like, yeah, it was like that. That's how it was in America, like back in like the 19, like 70s, 60s, yeah, 50s. Like it was, in the it was about, yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. It okay. was like that for real. Like, like back. And like I said, we get all the stuff that we needed. And just like Will was saying, like sometimes she'd be like, you know, she went to a few stores, got stuff and realized, oh, I ain't got no more cash on me. And she would just, they would just write it down. Because like, yeah. okay, they know no you're coming back. She got whatever. Because you, you every day. <laughs> yeah. You every day with every day. them. Yeah, every you living day. with them. And that's another thing that people don't understand. I think, you know, and yeah, I might as well talk about it. I, I don't mind. I'm, I'm just how I am. Shit, I'm going to say what I want to say. Say yeah. what you say, Do man. That, you know, it's like, a free space right here, man. You know, you know, black, I'm, we talked about this today. Yeah. I'm black. My skin black. You feel me? But I'm Korean too. You know, my spirit and everything that I was raised was Korean. Yeah. So I see both sides. I see the the, the strength. In my Korean side, which was like, you know, like we only shopped at places where we knew the people at. Mm -hmm. We only, you know, frequent places we was cool with the people at. Yeah. Like that's how your dollar, that's how the power of your economy grows. You know what I mean? You keep it within people that you're trying to grow with. Mm -hmm. So I took that same concept. I think that's really what, you know, in our conversation eventually will lead into is like how this grew us to who we are. Mm -hmm. 
that's what I took that concept, which was like. So we mean who we are, as in like a grown man. I'm grown. I'm grown. As in, now. as yeah. in like the coaching synergy that you helped create and how we are University. today. Yeah. Who we yeah. are as Fast University. Who we are as this this unification of creators and coaches that we are now. The, gotcha. the thing that we developed, the movement, the family, mm-hmm. the thing that we've created. You know, that's based off of our life. You know, and based off of our style of upbringing. We've learned that there's power in, for one, you know, being in service to each other. Mm. Servicing the lesser, you know, and making it a process where everybody serves each other, so everybody wins, and that nobody really loses because it's always somebody servicing the next mm. one in the deficit that they may have. Yeah, that concept is the key for us. We feel like, and also we also took the concept of making sure that we feed each other, share food with each other. When one gains, like in, the, like I give you an example in the Korean village, let's just say uh, a young man gets to go to law school, right? Mm-hmm. And he comes from this impoverished village, the whole village will throw a party. Mm-hmm. Everybody's going to be proud of him. Everybody's going to talk about how they know him. And, and they're all going to uh, come visit his... They, if they ever got legal trouble, they're going to... They're coming to him. They're coming to him. He has instant clients already. <laughs> For life. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> that's different. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And that's what we're kind of... That's where we're at. Yeah. And just the diversity too. Like um, being around so many different looking people, you know yes. what I'm saying? And us, like I said, we kind of, you kind of just touched on it for a minute. Like I was like the only, at least from what I knew, it's probably me and two other mixed kids that was outside of the base in Germany. You know what I'm saying? That we just kind of really hung out like that. And people would look at you, but you didn't, you know, we didn't have like at that age when I was younger, I would say like, you know, four or five years old, it wasn't nothing that I really picked up on. It wasn't until I actually started to live in the States that I would go, because I would go back every summer. So I would go back every single summer for the entire summer until I was about 13 years old. So you didn't lose your connection to Germany no, at all? No, I didn't at then. all. But then I started to realize like people are starting to be a little bit different toward me and I didn't pay attention to this before. Yeah. You know, because before then you don't really think about that stuff. Now you go there, you may go to like a, for with, with what's really big in Germany is like a Schwimmbad, which is like a pool, right? Yeah. Really nice areas. They have a giant pool with a lot of grass. You put your towel out there. You bring your, you know, little basket with food and all that. And I just be hanging out with my friends, obviously German, right? White. Um, and then you just start getting certain stares and you don't know. At the beginning, you're like, oh, maybe they're just, you know, interested to look that way. But then you start seeing little da 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 you know, chopping it up and you know, it's almost like, what's going on here? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm over here trying to have a good time with my friends. And so there is certain things that you feel, but, um, and then you start hearing little slight racial slurs that come out of there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it happens. And then you, because it'll be like competitive stuff. Like, you know, let's get on a diving board. We're going to see if you can hit these two flips or it'll be something. Or we'll they, say playing They'll be saying like little slick stuff. Like, yeah. uh, well, we know you part black, so you probably can't swim as well. As we can. Certain things like that. Like even soccer is, is our biggest sport, right? Yeah. So we go out there and mind you, we got open grass with, with goals and everything out there kicking their ass. Just running, just just doing them in. Then the next thing you hear is, yeah, this, mm. yeah. you know what I'm saying? You start hearing that stuff and you just, and I went to my mom, I was like, mom, I didn't really know it was like that. It's not something I really recognized before, but this year, I mean, it was kind of weird. You know what I'm saying? Like they started kind of talking about me and yeah. I was hearing it or- they got to the point where they didn't even think I spoke the language because I looked how I looked. That was the next problem. Oh, so they're talking in front of you, yeah. not thinking that mm, you can speak the not language. Not even blindly hiding it no more because it's like Until they automatically you reply to them. Yeah. <laughs> and so I had this ongoing thing, and this was the coolest thing later on when I got a little bit older, um, that any time that I would go somewhere and somebody would automatically assume that I didn't speak German because of the way that I looked, 
I would just play their game. So they start speaking to me in English and I just go along with it, right? And I know they're struggling because they're trying to like, yeah, I'm going to try to speak English with him and, you know, test my stuff out. And I let them get all the way through the conversation. And then, boom, just, just break off into full fluent German. And they'd be like, oh, you made me do this the whole time? Like, <laughs> you ain't asked. Man, you didn't tell. Yeah, you never asked though, but it shows yeah. the ignorance. Of and people, look, and that's a flex. You know? I ain't, don't, don't let them, don't let them, don't let them <laughs> exactly lie to you. That's, right. a, that's a freaking flex. Because I do that shit all the time at the, at, the, <laughs> at the black hair store. I'm Korean. So, you know, we own all the black hair stores. If you didn't know that, we own a monopoly. You know, we own mm. 95% of the market. Yeah. Mm. So whenever my I go to the lady with my ladies to get in the hair, you know, the 1B Peruvians and the wet and wavy uh, Malaysians, um, I'm able to- He knows it. <laughs> y'all, ladies, y'all know about them bust down bundles. Y'all know about them bust downs. But so I go to the spot and I act like he said, I act like I don't know. And mm. I just be in there looking like a, you know, a regular hood figure. You know, I might be stealing the bundles or something, right? You know what I'm saying? I'm just in there cooling with my wife. And then they come to the front and then they talking and then, you know, we cash out, act like I don't know nothing, you know, gave me a little do-rag or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then we, you know, I'm about to leave. I say, you know, I say, I say, thank you in Korean. I say, I say, good seeing you. And then they, all of a sudden they start going crazy. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh my gosh. And yeah. then, I ain't gonna lie, some of the times, they, and this is not hating on, don't, let's not be stereotypical. Let me not, you know, but I got, I got to get on my people too, though. Sometimes they be talking about other people that's in the stove where they don't know that you listening and you know yeah. you speak Korean, so they actually talking about somebody like, "Hey, watch out for uh big head over here." So like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like Damn. big head, purple shirt. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I be wondering what they be saying though, too. Hey, that's exactly key, what they saying, right? Low key, they be on and they be on your head. Like they be, it, it don't be nothing too much, but it be like, watch out for big head, purple shirt. Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Watch out. They All right, like, so y'all came to the states. Y'all mm -hmm. went to the whole schooling system, how did y'all both find track and field? Well, how did y'all find sports, period, and what, what brought y'all into track and field? Well, for me, um, the first thing that I've ever done, and I started this when I was like six years old, was uh, Tang Soo Do. So it was actually martial arts. Um, so You still remember how to do all that? Well, yeah, it will end up switching to being Taekwondo. So you're kicking ass. Yeah. Okay, okay. So that was my first. My first. Taekwondo's Korean, you know yeah. that, right? So Taekwondo's Korean, but I didn't have it. The only reason why I switched is because when I went, came to the States, they didn't have Tang Soo Do anymore, that art form. So my dad was like, I want to keep him in this. He's disciplined. He's learning all the, you know, he was really big into discipline, you know, Facts. understanding your body, controlling your body, all that. So when, uh, you know, I entered into uh, to Taekwondo and I was just, I did that from like six to like, I want to say like 12 years old. And I was like in it, like fully, fully invested into that thing. And it wasn't until like seventh grade when you're actually able to play sports here. You know what I mean? Yeah. In the middle school where I actually started to play football, play basketball, run track. And it was no favoritism at the in, the, in the beginning, it was just me trying things out. That's how my dad was, my mom, where they were like, look, I want him to try different things out. He may like this better than that. We don't know yet, but we're going to find out. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what brought me to the sport. You know what I mean? The sport realm. Now, I didn't start to single, get to the point where I started to really focus in on track until maybe like my junior year in high school. Because my dad was like, okay, it's time now. You know, like you are at a point now where it's your last two years, we need to figure out which route you're gonna take. You know what I mean? Being that I was in Colleen, you know, at Ellison, our team sports weren't all that great. So there weren't a lot of people out there really looking for us. Mm. So track was the one thing that I saw to where I have full control over. You know what I'm saying? I didn't have to depend on nobody else because I know how I am, how competitive I am. And I hate 
nothing more than being on a team <laughs> and then you giving 100% and somebody else over your slack and giving you 60, 70%. Because exactly. of somebody else. You know? yeah, so I that's what that. led me to it. Can't do it. So what, what is, um, for Marlon, what, what made you feel like you excelled in that though? Like, did you, did you automatically start off hurdling? Or did I, you find actually, other events that got you into it? Well, I was actually a sprinter long jumper first. Oh yeah? yeah. Okay. Um, the problem was in seventh grade, like we only had one hurdler. And my coach is like, hey, is anybody else want to try these hurdles out? Because we don't have enough people. Everybody wants to sprint. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, so I was like, I'll, I'll try it out. Why not? You know what I'm saying? Um, now we didn't get a lot of instruction, but you know, eight <laughs> steps to the first hurdle and then three steps between, and you just gotta be faster than everybody. Yeah. I mean, that was my literal instruction in middle school. So you had no hurdle technique, no, no nothing. No, but the his first time I- His technique was trash. Terrible, but I, <laughs> the, the moment that I said, he knows, he can attest to this. I Bro, never look, lost. Look, 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 let me tell you something. <laughs> I just never lost. So I know this is going to get on. So let me, I'm going to do my impression of Marlon. This boy here, dude, slim. You see he's slim still, right? Yeah. <laughs> this dude was extra slim, right? This dude had on like, like, you know, it's supposed to be a jersey, right? Bad boy like a flag, like a big old flag. That thing was just hanging off sideways. And he'd be like this, moving. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I seen the I seen the pictures. Oh, yeah. I seen the pictures on the internet. Yeah. Something to it, you know. For me, I'm gonna. I'm a type of person that um, I like aggressive type things. You know what I'm saying? You can see the fight. That's what I liked about it. I never, I don't even respect hurdles back in the days, especially when he was running. I, I had no respect. I thought slow people ran hurdles, right? So I'm just like, uh, you know what I mean? I'm swear to God. That's how I was my mom. Like, oh, was a slow sprinter. Go ahead yeah, and tell him. Like, yeah. like, like, it was default. No, I ain't gonna lie. It was, it was big talking about him because he's the man, right? It was like, yeah. oh, you don't know about Marlon? I'm like, he's one state. He's gonna be the man. He gonna be the, I'm like, yeah, it's hurdles, bro. We for real right now. <laughs> you know, but, you know, we supported it, right? But what I liked about him, because I had no clue about how serious and how real the hurdles are and how much I respect it now. I love hurdles. I'm, I'm my, I want all my children to run hurdles if they're tall enough and they can fit, they fit the bill. But, bro, that boy was gr gritty, man. And he was slim. <laughs> you, I mean, super slim. So he was like, damn, he was beating people, the hell out of people. You know what I'm saying? Like the mess out of people. And he's slim. And then we got further along. We're from a small town. So for you to be ranked like number one in the country, from Colleen, bro, it's like we beating all the odds. So like for us, he was like the golden kid for us for a lifetime, at least out there. So y'all showed him that village vibe that you were talking about earlier. That's what I was saying. Like he's, I'm, I'm from Colleen, so y'all understand. Like we not from the same place everybody else from. Like who's number five, murder capital per capita. Like we we got in fights. I've been at least forty fights since growing up. He, we used to see mm -hmm. fights all the time. We just yeah. be in fights. So I know I don't. It's not what you think, Coach. We would be like, but yeah, yeah. That's that's how we was. Where we from? But if he was ever to go to the club or something was happening, not just me, it's everybody. Like, and it's, I'm not at his, I'm not from his school. Mm -hmm. I'm not actually his personal friend. He's from my city and he's successful and I want him to win. And I, I know him because it's a village. So we know him just from being in track and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Football, you know what I mean? Yeah. So we like, if we saw him in the club and somebody was messing with him, we would beat that dude up. We would come, we would jump that dude. Immediately. Like, I mean, it wouldn't even be a thought process. It would be like an instantaneous. You, you felt that love? Did you oh, feel that love from the city? Oh, definitely, man. It was, yeah, oh, it's, it's like that. Yeah. If you're from Colleen, you kind of know that. Like, yeah. like it, got, it got so bad that, you know, it gets to the point where I'll pull back up. Like, even from, I, mind you, I'm college now. Because it's like, I'm already out of high school. They loved him, man. They would, like, not let me go to certain events. 
Just cause because they was like, nah, it's bro. It's bad. It's hood. I don't want you even around this, bro. Yeah. We love you, bro, but, but you're you not going to this. Yeah, we yeah. going to be there, but you can't come. We going to link up tomorrow, but <laughs> this thing right here. Just not, in case, yeah. Because nah, they didn't want nothing to happen that's to a, me. That, and and that's I took a, it kind of personal because I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to kick y'all. I've been at school the whole time. I'm trying to really kick it with y'all. They was like, nah, man, look. You done made it out of here. Because just... most people don't make it from where we're from. And that's what people don't understand. And that's real, and that's back to track and field, right? I think the best track and field sprinters and, and hurdlers and events, period, come from a place where it's, you know, struggle, bro. It has to be a place where you, you know, you either impoverished, something been stopping you, something been limiting you. That's how track goes hard because it's such a physical sport and it comes and ties directly with your spirit. So you have to be almost have to try to escape something is how 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 this these this sport attaches to you. Thanks. Yeah. So it's like if this ain't your way out almost, you won't make it to your level. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or his level or these high levels because just being good and talented and having good guidance is good. But there's gonna come many times in your track journey when you're trying to become the best of the best of the best, number one percent. Man, bro, it, it it boils back down to just you as a person and, and what you're willing to go through. And if you haven't been built up from a place as a younger person to grow up through challenges and sacrifices and turmoils and trials and overcome them, man, track ain't for you, bro. Yeah. Plus, you have a lot of people telling you, and especially in that city, man, what you can't do. I, nice. I mean, I think amongst me and him, and you can vouch for that, it's just like, it's just, you weren't expected to really do much. You know yeah. what I'm saying? If you weren't playing football... He's gonna be in the military. You was gonna yeah, work at yeah. the store. You gonna sell. You weren't really gonna get out that city dumps. like that. That's yeah. how they kind of you know went about it. And I mean, we had coaches, some coaches that were passionate about it, but they weren't really like there to really. They were there more so as a, I'm trying to mold you as a man type situation, and I'm gonna really show you how to do this to get out of here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So the things that I saw from a, from, a, from a coaching perspective, like with Coach Towers, mm. he he was a person like almost like a almost like a father figure that would. You feel like you can go to him about anything. Mm -hmm. Like I'm really getting, you know, stressing right now in my personal mm -hmm. life. Whatever I got going on, I will go talk to him, and I will feel, you know, he had me feeling like I can run through a wall. Mm -hmm. And that is the element that he installed into us. And mm -hmm. that one of the main things that I guess got me to the point where I was like, you know what? Later on in life, I want to be able to reach people that way. So that kind of planted that seed, that coaching that you seed in with me. you along the way. Yeah, because it you. wasn't like technical stuff like what we do now. You know, no. we always say that. And I'm imagine if we'd have had a half Nobody of what we do now. This stuff. Yeah. Nobody taught us this stuff. But when you when you have people like that that were more as, as far as you know a support system behind you yes. to push you when everybody else was telling you, like he said, Marlon, you too skinny. You ain't gonna be able to do this, mm -hmm. man. These guys are way bigger than you. you how are you gonna beat them? You're not gonna, and I, and I got so used to people saying that. And for me, I just use it as fuel. Cause when somebody mm -hmm. tells me I can't do something, oh, you're gonna try I'm harder. Like, hey, baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, thank you. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'm gonna use that and I'm gonna show you exactly why you're wrong. Exactly. Because there's nothing better. And I always say this there's nothing better than not saying anything at all yeah. and just proving Showing it. Showing them what you're talking about. And then you don't even have to say nothing because the, 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 they get so uncomfortable in the moment when they see you up there. It's just like, damn, man. You know, because if I would just like reacted or retaliated at that moment that they told me this, you know, what I mean, I'd been like everybody else. Yeah, yeah. So, the best vengeance is, is success. It's success, man. So, Will, how'd you get started in track, man? What, what was your what was your origin into track? What made you fall in love with track? Because I know you did other sports too, though, right? You did football for a little yeah, while. Yeah, I did football. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that boy Reggie McNeil came around. <laughs> 
Yeah, I would tell you about my story, right? <laughs> so I started off, I, I'm a I'm a nerd. So I don't want anybody to think that I was so cool or whatever. I, I grew up as a true Korean. My mom raised me as a Korean. I, I went to church almost every day. We went to we grew up in a small church, bro. So I was with my mom. I was at old grandma, old Korean grandma's houses, making Korean dishes with the grandmas, mm. trying to keep tradition alive, baby. Yes. You feel me? But, he was uh, obedient. Yeah. <laughs> read the Bible, you know, just, 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 just my mom taught me well. And she taught me how to take care of my sister, be a good older brother. I was the oldest, you know, just basic positive things, knowing, knowing Jesus, knowing God, you know, mm. and that's what I was raised on. Um, I had no sports in my life whatsoever. I was hell of a nerd. You know, I had straight A's. I played the flute. I took piano lessons. Um, man. Everything you could think of couldn't dance. Very short, big ears. You know, a, a lot of things was all that. So one basically, time. anything you could think of other than sports, you was in there. I was in the game of not being too cool. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was, I was hella intellectual. Had encyclopedias, at least four different versions in my house. Mm. Read through them. I was big in science fiction. Studied. I was anime. I grew up in Korea. So Dragon Ball Z and all that stuff was in syndication. Like the first time Dragon Ball Z came out. Yeah, bro, I was watching it. The day it came so out. So you're getting hot off the press then? Yeah, I'm, I'm Dragon Ball Z magazines and mangas and all that. I'm out here big anime before anime was popping. Oh, you was getting it in before we was getting it in. Because yeah, I was right. watching it on Toonami at like midnight, dog. <laughs> See, I was, I've been had it. I grew yeah. up on that. I was five years old. You so probably was, watching it while I was still in like uh, Japanese and everything. And, and you know, I'm going to hint to this. And y'all can clip this. I want y'all to clip this. A lot of my style of coaching comes from uh, Dragon Ball Z low key though. Because I feel like you can push through the next level if you put yourself through environments that kind of weigh you down a bit and limit you a bit so you can overcome it. Mm. I'm talking about, you know why I say that? Because I feel like that was for me growing up was that same vibe and that same feel. Exactly. Because mm. I was like, those moments where you feel like you down or you at your rock bottom mm -hmm. and that like, you know exactly where you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that drive always is going to keep pushing mm -hmm. you to go further and further to the top. Mm -hmm. So I use that same kind of philosophy from high school to college, I would be rocking Dragon Ball Z shirts to yeah. school while I was in college. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And this is before anybody even knew what Dragon Ball Z was. I still got yeah. it. I'm still, I'm thinking about making a fast you Dragon Ball Z Yeah, hey, uh, you know, I'm a rocket. I'm a rocket. All right, good, good. <laughs> I'm not lying. Hey, y'all know what time it is. If you're not watching Ready, Set, Go, then you need to have your eyes on prize picks. It's a daily fantasy sports game. Rod, tell them what it is. Man, let me tell you how easy it is. Use our code GATLIN. Head over to prizepicks.com or download the app and let's get it popping. At PrizePix, you don't play against anybody. You play only against the PrizePix projections. You pick between two to six players and you select either more or less against the PrizePix projections. And you know the best part about it? It takes less than 60 seconds to make your entries. Now that's my kind of sport. You guys know I'm always flying with my Eagles, but PrizePix does way more than just the NFL. They do the NBA track and field, and a plethora of other sports. Tap into prize picks. And with prize picks, you can win up to 25 times your money. You can turn 10 into 250, and you can turn 100 into 2,500. You get what I'm saying? Cha-ching! With our code Gatlin, prize picks will match your first deposit up to $100. That means if you put in $10, they'll put in $10. If you put in $50, They'll put in $50, but we all know you want to put in $100. Go to prizepicks.com slash Gatlin and use the code Gatlin for the first deposit match up to $100. But like that was, for me, when I grew up, you know, the whole 
concept of sport was really for my father, you know, and that's where it leads me to really is my dad was a superstar, but growing up, he was like, everybody has, if you're from, if you got old school parents from different places, like his dad from New York, he like a New York street basketball legend, right? You go back to where he from, they gonna talk about Mr. Mr. Oldham about, you know, oh hell yeah, he's be dugging on them mother, you know. Oh, you like Leon. Yeah, oh, yeah, Leon, <laughs> Leon, yeah. Oh, Leon. Oh, Leon, yeah. <laughs> but you can't touch the backboard. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> the goat, the goat, yeah, yeah the man yeah. the goat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I'm saying is my dad's that. So they used to talk about how my dad was 14 and I'm about to tell my whole little family story. Like my, my <laughs> grandfather, God rest his soul, he died at 95. Mm. But he, he was known as Shorty. He was like five foot five or something, short man, right? Mm-hmm. He used to be in these bars. And my dad used to drive him to these bars. He'd be about 14. But my mm. dad swole as hell at 14, right? Apparently he had uh, bet the man at the bars. My, that's my grandpa talking about my dad. I bet you my damn son can pick you up by your damn legs. <laughs> by your ankles and hold you up. I bet you $20. Look, 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 and woke his ass up out the truck and told him to come inside the bar. At 14. Swole ass dad. <laughs> yeah. Grown man by the ankles. And then I be hearing stories like this my whole life. Yeah. Because I know, you know, my dad's a, a chef. People don't know. My dad's a chef. He, uh, he's in the uh, food, he's food service. My mm-hmm. dad's a phenomenal chef, world class chef. Um, he did that in the military, but he, he, he kept going, right? But. I didn't get to see all this athletic stuff. My dad used to be a you know damn near professional boxer. Like he was one box away from, you know, doing. He quit. Mm-hmm. My dad's and, and I'm learning, learning, listening to my dad's history. I'm learning two things. Man, he didn't. For one, racism was shutting his ass down. Shit, and he was killing his ass, obviously. (laughs) But he had a son, right? And I think, (laughs) I think what he got out of me and what I was trying to give him, and what I saw and the energy that I think, you know, that's how God does it through your generations. I think I believe in that. You know, things Mm -hmm. go through your generations, and things either get in order or go in disorder or disorder through generational problems or generational success, right? Yeah. So like, you know, my father worked so hard. He was the most disciplined individual from his family, though he wasn't the oldest. And I think his hard work and his sacrifice um, ended up showing me how to become who I am now because at the end of the day, like, I recognized that his dreams were stifled. His dreams were, were smoted by... Racism by by systematic situations that were stopping them, or people who had who were in position to stop them that felt racist. You it was know tougher I mean? than necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's like you know, being a black man was different back when he was yeah. growing up. Mm-hmm. But as I feel like as we grew, we we saw the change. We saw the um, the equalization and the evolution of how we could be represented. And I'm black and I'm Korean, similar to him being German and black. Mm-hmm. So when I have a different perspective that I can convey to black people, to white people, to Asian people, all at the same time where we all can find relativity in the same moment. So, and I do that, I use that a lot now in who I am and what I do in my business and what I do with my athletes. I'm an OG, if you think about it and how I move, I was raised by OGs, right? And even from the, even from the track game, I've studied Clyde Hartz, I've studied the HSIs, I've studied the um, Ben Johnson's coach, I've studied Charlie Francis, I've studied I've studied all the grades. I've studied the Russians from past. Mm-hmm. So like I'm an OG in my my history, but I'm I'm like trapped right now. You know. What I'm so saying? you feel like the kid that you was that nerdy kid growing up, all that knowledge that you learned how to acquire, yeah. you just kind of poured it into 
what you started having a passion for, which was sports, and use that same kind of philosophy to get you where you are I'm today. I'm a nerd. Yeah, I, I yeah. put the nerd energy into sports, fashion, media, the thing that I'm into. I'm a big old nerd. Like, I actually research everything that I'm into. So, like, I know you know that we know this. I know, yeah. I research everything to the point where it's like, if I'm studying fashion, which I have, right? I've I've, listened, I've watched every Virgil Abloh video that he has out for free almost, I think. I've spent well over 200 hours of watching it, understanding it. I've read different books. I sit here and listen to nothing but books every day. You've been in the cars with me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So that's all I do is try to figure out more ways to move forward in things. Because I was raised that way. My mom said, if you, if you want to learn something that's there, go find it. It's yeah. somewhere. And that's why we got all these... Uh, encyclopedias, bro, because I wasn't trusting the first one. I had to get another one. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I think I think there's a little bit more to this platypus than you telling me in this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's wild. So, so Marlon, mm -hmm. all right. The the village got you. Colleen holding you down. You off to college. Mm -hmm. What was the college experience like for you? Did you still feel like a foreign athlete coming in, and, or did you feel like you was alienated? Or did you feel like you was a part of? Now I felt like I was a part of. Okay, that was the first time I would say. That I felt that way though. You know what I mean? Because I have had this, you know, and I tell people this all the time. Like I've always had like a chip on my shoulder. That's kind of how it's always been. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like uh, my favorite basketball player is Allen Iverson. For real? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think- You, you low-key aggressive. That's what you That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. But, but the Damn reason why is because he defied all odds. Like if you look at him, he's the, he's the number one recruit basketball and football coming out of high school. We know what happened. That cost almost cost him all that, but he the way that he was framed, he wasn't supposed to quote unquote be what he was or be as effective as he was. Yeah, and so that was like a thing that really drove me. You know, what I'm saying when I saw how he was he was playing, getting thrown around the court. You know, what I'm saying dude ain't even really six foot tall, bro. Like way about a buck sixty wit. You know, what I'm saying out there out outscoring everybody. You know, what I'm saying yeah. leading scorer of the league with two three years. You know what I'm saying? And it's like that kind of mindset. And I just, it just kind of, I felt like I could relate to that because mm. I just had that kind of instinct to be like, you know what? I'm tired of people telling me what I can do. You know what I mean? So going to college was just like, uh, uh, you know, you you get there and it's like the first thing that I noticed, and I mean, mind you, Texas Tech was not what it is now. You know what I'm saying? It was, <laughs> it was not what it was now. Um, but you, we, we had a lot of foreigners there. So I had a lot of people, you know, we had two, uh, two guys from Trinidad. We had two Bahamians mm -hmm. there. We had, a, everybody was all so the and, 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 yeah. and that's so weird. See, and now that you're talking about this, um, this is an open conversation now. Look, I didn't realize I was just attracted to people that ain't from here. Does yeah. it make sense? Like, I, I've been realized, like, because, like, every college I went to, I've been to multiple colleges. Yeah. Bro, I was looking for a, a Jamaican, a Bahamian, a Trinidadian, uh, somebody from anywhere. You could have been Russian. Bro, you just didn't even not, not be from here mm -hmm. and tell me that you didn't know English well enough. I'm like, man, I, I rock with you, bro. I know how that is. You're connected with Yeah, them. I'm rocking with that, bro. I, it can be tough. Do you need some help? You want some food? What we got to do? You know what I mean? So like, yeah, that's the vibe I think for us is like when you come from another country and you come to the United States, you know how hard the United States can be to you mm -hmm. as a foreigner. And people don't really get it. They look at me and him because we so like this, right? Yeah. Y'all boys ain't foreign, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> that boy, that's, we really got gaps in our stuff. We were talking about like, that. Yeah, he, <laughs> he, he, some you were telling me earlier how you would go, you would go back home for the summer, right? And then you come back and you, you'll miss a whole like 
cultural. No, no, yeah. think about this. He's yes. been gone for 10 years from here yeah. from the point where he left when he went pro or whatever. That's 10 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. This dude don't, man, look, I'm telling you, there's so much stuff me and him have <laughs> talked about. And he's like, what you talking about? And like, you can tell he don't know, right? Because I'm saying something that's supposed to be like, ha ha. Like, you're supposed to know this. Ha ha. I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, he give me the ha ha. Okay. Yeah, 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 I don't yeah. get it. Y'all yeah, yeah. uh, funny, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, I mean, of course, uh, set aside from the foreigners, there's, there's gaps in ourselves. Yeah, so when, when you come and, you know, we may have not, you know, songs that y'all may have listened to, nursery rhymes that y'all may have. No, with. no, tell yeah. them about Juneteenth, bro. Tell them about Juneteenth. I had to have somebody really, <laughs> no joke, man. It was a whole thing. So I was just like, everybody take his black card, yeah, bro. Man, the first time I've ever heard of what Juneteenth was, I didn't know. You was a full and adult like, when you learned yeah, about Juneteenth. I'm right? like, what the hell is Juneteenth? Like, yeah. What dad? Uh, you know somebody. You know somebody. You know, you, know you got a black daddy, right? Yeah, you know, so, he ain't tell you about that. Yeah. So amongst all the other stuff that you always get picked on about, right? Not knowing, like it's supposed to be something that you know. Um, I just didn't know. So I was yeah. like, hey, y'all going to have to explain this That's to me because funny. I just don't know what it is. Yeah. And so for me- Do y'all remember just... Kwanzaa? Of course, yeah. Bro, I, we ain't know nothing about no Kwanzaa, bro. I'm from well, Korea. I grew, I grew, Korea. Up, I grew up with about? the- I grew up with the fact of- You wore the dashiki? Well, yeah, during not during Kwanzaa, but we had segments during like family reunion where we wore, wore dashikis. African print, dashikis, yeah, things like that because okay. we wanted to represent Africa. But guess what? We ain't know nothing about fucking Africa, though. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Y'all don't even got Nigerian friends. We ain't have Nigerian friends. <laughs> we didn't even, listen, we ain't know where to find Nigerians outside of Nigeria. <laughs> you know what I mean? Serious though, seriously. Like, but the fact is, like, we, as Ameri Black Americans, we wanted to represent what yeah, hard, was yeah. our origin facts, facts. so bad yeah. that we would, I, I felt like we would perpetrate. No, right? no, no, no. And then that, that, that's a whole thing though. You know, it's, yeah. like, it's like a syndrome that discusses about black people not knowing their origin. Mm. So we're constantly looking for something to attach ourselves to. So we just attach ourselves to different things. Yeah. Like maybe clothes or, or hood behavior or whatever it is, yeah. right? So yeah, no, I agree. Cause like for us, like, it is weird. That's what we mean. Rob was talking about, right? So, like, imagine you you get into a situation, right? And like they like, hey, you, and then you like, man, hold, hold on, these these it's in trouble, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. ain't realize you yeah. black too. <laughs> they talking about you too, right? <laughs> and you got like, oh, hold on, man, hold on, hey, hold on, no, 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 I'm German, I'm German, uh, I'm you too. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, that happens a lot with people like yeah, us, you know yeah. what I'm saying, early in the game, right? So you like, I forgot, we had a couple of things happen and it was just, I forgot what it was, but they was like trying to make it a black thing, right? And I was like, I was like, man, y'all got it tough, huh? I was like, that shit crazy for y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like seven, right? And they, and they looking at me like, you black, bro, you know what I'm saying? I'm I just like, think that as, as a black culture, yeah. black, black Americans, like we, for so long, we mm -hmm. tried to um, attach ourselves to an identity mm -hmm. that was outside of what we should have just been. That's true. That um, like it was always in us. Mm -hmm. Like look at the look at the dances yeah. from the nineties yeah, yeah. on till now, oh, yeah. right? And then you go and look at videos of dances in Africa, mm -hmm. and they're so similar. Very and similar. I guarantee you, they ain't, they ain't no girls out there looking at videos of Africans dancing and trying to like emulate it. Like it's just a part of your nature, it's a part of your soul. 100%. You know what I mean? One hundred percent. Yeah. And it, like I even just watched, and, and this is just because I think uh, my wife had put it on. She had put on that Elvis Presley movie. Mm, and yeah, I remember yeah, we he heard stole, about yeah, Elvis. He I heard about Elvis yeah, like yeah, he impersonating yeah, yeah. black folks, and I didn't really, I didn't really pay attention to no movies. So that's yeah. the first honest, honest to God Elvis movie I've ever watched. Mm -hmm. And 
it, it was like that, bro. He yeah. was in there really. This dude was way just off of how he performed. Yeah, was completely copy and paste Taking, off of a yeah. person that was doing. But that's that's, that's yeah. like right now with these rappers, bro. They they find somebody, they appropriate him and turn him into. Mm-hmm. Um, well, who's the guy uh, that's really big? Macklemore or somebody like that. You know, they just find somebody like him. Macklemore as a black artist would not make it. Nah. He would have failed. He wouldn't even made out his mama basement with that. Yep. I feel like nowadays, hip hop has become its own culture, right? Yeah, that's true. And you have a lot of you have a lot of kids who are black, white, Asian who have grown and leaned into the culture to be a part of the culture, right? Yeah. That's all they know. That's what they know. They know that music. They know that style of dress. They mm-hmm. know that that swag, right? Mm-hmm. But back when you talking about Elvis, like it was almost like they had to prep you. Yes. This is how you have soul. Yes. This is how you have swag. Yes. This is how you move your hips. Yes. You know yes. what I'm saying? And like that kind of stuff was because it was a money grab. It was like, yes. that's cool over there, but guess what? We can't have a chocolate dude doing that. We yep. need to have a, a white guy well, doing so, that. You know? And I'm not trying to give too much game, but I guess I can, right? Because it's the podcast, right? Mm. So that has a lot to do with the crossover and the diversification of demographics. Mm-hmm. So with those concepts, that's the same thing that that's employed all over the world, right? So if you're something new into a new demographic and it offers you the ability to hop in somewhere where you were making no dollars. Does that make sense? Yeah. If you're making $100 here in the black community, you're making no dollars in the white community is bigger and has more dollars, why wouldn't you jump in here and offer mm-hmm. something similar to this community that they could actually consume, that yeah. they would actually intake? And that's really, that goes on everywhere. Like I give you an example like, uh, hip hop, bro. Hip hop is now all over the world. It's global. It's, it's in China. It's in Saudi Arabia. It's everywhere, right? So they know who Fifty Cent is. They know who these individuals are because the culture was transcendent and the things were congruent. And then different individuals from different styles brought it overseas mm. and, and took it over there, where they brought in a certain style of hip hop to where it crossed over. It's like it's like Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson never was considered black after a while. He was just considered an artist. He just was Michael. Michael. Yeah. Same thing. Same thing with uh with Prince. He was just yeah. his Prince. He was just Prince. Hell, he, was, he took it even further, man. Some people are like right, you, you guy, you girl, you Prince, dog. Yeah, we <laughs> you didn't know even I mean? know. He take I, your girl. Yeah. Can I tell you something? And this is me having a real grown ass black man conversation. Yeah. I ain't never seen more OG dudes who who are usually nine times out of ten homophobic support a guy like Prince. Mm-hmm. Prince is the only man where a straight man like my father would be like, oh yeah, that's just Prince. Oh man, shit. You don't know Prince. Prince got all the women now. You better watch out. That's no, Prince. That, that, that's, but that's, that's the equalizer though. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. he got a whole skirt. He got a whole blouse Bro, on. Bro, it's the equalizer though. Man, it's crazy. The, the, when he, wherever he moved and walked, no matter if he was wearing high heels and a blouse, he had the baddest girls with him, <laughs> he dog. Was, and yeah. it was, and he, and the thing is, he owned it. Bro. He did. Though. It was like, he, and and that's, he was incredibly smart too, though. Oh, he was very oh, yeah. intelligent. He was, he was like yeah. genius level. He played almost every instrument you can yeah. think of, dog. Yeah, like, man. He was a genius at it. He was real. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. And I so, guess so, Marlon, you moved from from Texas Tech, mm-hmm. and then you turned pro. When did you turn pro? Uh, two thousand eight was my first year. So that was a pretty. That was a that was a good year, man. That was a good. That year. That was a hot year, actually. Yeah, man. Beijing. Yeah, Olympic year. Yeah. yeah, and it was crazy because my first at this point in time, I didn't even know that I was going to run for Germany because I hadn't known yet. So what happened was in two thousand, I graduated in two thousand seven. The first year, people don't know, I had went like my coach left, so the, I was going to continue to uh, train with my college coach. He ended up leaving, getting another job somewhere. So I had to. I was training myself that year. I went back home. 
and uh, you know, I started working at like Gold's Gym just to kind of do something in the mornings and stuff like that. I was training myself. Um, ran that season, you know, right out the gate. You know, what I'm saying like, you know, I had my agent threw me into all the the circuits. I did the Asian circuit. I did all the other stuff, um, and just uh, it, that was my first like, okay, get my feet wet, see how what this is about. How um, was that though? Like your first year on the circuit, traveling around. It was running. I mean, I know it's a dream come true. It's something you really want to do. Yeah. But how was it for you to get acclimated into doing something like that? I mean, you're just really learning about yourself. You yeah. know, you got to understand like you never, if you never had to deal with different like time zones like that, jumps, that was the one thing that a lot of people were trying to let me know that we're already OGs in the game. You know what I'm saying? We're telling me like, for instance, like Larry Wade was a big mentor of mine. You know what I mean? He's from Giddings, Texas. Shout out to Larry Wade. Yeah, shout Larry out to Larry Wade. Wade. Um, he uh, always, since I've been in high school, man, he's always been, you know, keeping track with me all through college. He was there at the every conference championship, hoping I don't break his record. You know what I'm saying? Broke it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but- uh, Shout out to Larry Wade. Yeah, shout out to Larry Wade. Um, but that's the OG, man. He was just like, hey, just make sure that when you get on that circuit, man, you, you know- you make note of it. You know, you're, some agents are going to send you out, you know, a few days early. Other ones may send you out almost a whole week early, but you got to figure out how your body works. Yeah, some agents have you there the day before. The day before. And so I I learned the hard way that year that like, I remember going to, matter of fact, it was Korea and Daegu. That's when we still had Golden League. You know what I'm saying? The championship Daegu year or just you was just there for the, oh, oh the Golden League? Okay, for okay. Meet. Okay. And um, we pulled up, I think I, they flew me out there maybe like three days ahead of time. And I had already ran in, uh, I ran in Shanghai and went over to, uh, I had Osaka was my second stop and Daegu was my last stop. Mm. And then um, I got there three days ahead and I was fine the first two days. On race day, I walk into this fully loaded stadium and I had zero adrenaline. Like just nothing there. Really? Yes. I remember me, me, and, me and Ryan Wilson was walking out the, uh, out the, you know, into the stadium. Little the tunnel. tunnel that leads you into the track. Yeah. Right? And I was just like, weirdest feeling I've ever had. I'm, that's the first time in my life I didn't have adrenaline and I should have it. I mean, the people I'm about to race, I should have it. Yeah. And mind you, it worked out well. I still got third in that race, but it was just, it was like a practice run. It was weird. And at that moment, you know, I told my agent, I said, look, I don't know what it is with this time difference, but I, you got to send me out there either like a day before or maybe a, a Five, six days out. I don't know what it's gonna be, but I can't third day in, I can't do it. For whatever so. reason, when I when I when I competed in Asia, mm -hmm. it was, I had that same feeling. Like I had to be there at least three was the max. Mm -hmm. If I was there any longer than three days, like I started feeling flat. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that energy. Mm -hmm. And I never could put my finger on why I always felt <laughs> like that. Always you, you're like, in a different spot, bro. But usually, and if especially if you're in Korea. You're closer to the equator, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, and like I said, that first year was honestly just me trying to figure it out. You know what I mean? And then the second year is where I ended up going to a training group with Alan Johnson in South Carolina. So they had a really solid training group up there. Ron Bramlett, Shenandoah. Shout Dinas. out to Alan, man. Alan yeah. Johnson, Alan go Johnson, for real, yeah. man. For real legend. Definitely, man. Like I learned like so much. Like I'm, I ain't Ooh. even going Who's over there with you? You said Ron Bramlett. Ron Bramlett, Lashinda Demas was there. Uh, Fred Townsend. I don't know if a lot of people even know who Fred I know Townsend Fred, was. Yeah. Um, and then we had uh, Demi Amole, hmm. no from Wisconsin, had yeah, ran yeah, nine yeah. seconds yeah. that year in a hundred. Uh, Greg Nixon was there. Just came off with the Indoor World Quarter Mile yeah. uh, Championship title. Um, it was a dope squad, man. And like that was a year where 
the coach is like, you know what? You got dual citizenship, right? I said, I do. He said, why are you running for the U.S.? I said, you know what? Up until that moment, crazy enough, I never thought about it. I said, you know what? I never even knew it was an option, bro. I'm like, I'm going to lie to you. And he said, you might want to look into that. He said, because right now you almost have a guaranteed team that you're making. Why don't you Absolutely. do that? And so that in that, I would say I was in, I was in that training group for about a year and a half, right? I learned the most I've ever did out of my whole career in that group. And that's not knocking my, my collegiate you know, career, but from a technical standpoint, from understanding the game, just to have those kind of veterans around me like that, that have already, you know, been oh, in man, it. It's Alan Johnson, though. It was Alan, man. And mind you, Alan is at this time was like already 30. He was on his way out, man. He's like 36, 37 years old. You know what I mean? He just came off the World Cup win. He wasn't even supposed to run at that race and ran 1296 mm-hmm. and beat everybody. I mean, Lu Zhang was in that race. Robles was in that race. Everybody that was somebody was in that race. Yeah. Um, and I remember him just telling me to take my time, you know, like the information that he would just give me. So you're, you know, you're, you're coming out of your dive too early. Just little stuff, subtle. He's calm. He's always like this calm spirit. But, I, you know, he'll joke with you too. And you don't know how do you take it? Like, is he serious or is he playing? Because everything is almost so dry, right? Because that's just his personality. <laughs> and uh, I just learned so much, you know? And so for me, it was just like, okay, I got to take what he's giving me. I wrote down everything. I said, damn, this is crazy. And I'm actually, he is the actual reason why I even started hurtling. So to be, obviously I raced him before because like my junior year in at Tech, I had already lined up at the trials and raced him, um, him and Terrence. I had, I think, Alan on my left and Terrence to my right, which was the craziest feeling ever when you ain't never lined up against him before. And that's the that's people that you've seen. right there, seriously. Yeah, so for me, it was just like, this is like, you know, I'm actually training with him now, you know? And then just to have a whole season where He's he just see he's just as he's he's probably the most humble and most regular person that you can meet you know. So love you was training with Allen and you had to race against Allen too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's some wild stuff. That right is there, wild. Mm-hmm. He warm you up in the back. All right, looking good, looking good. I'll see you at the start line. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he's the reason why I got it. in it too, though. He's the reason why I got into hurdling mm-hmm. when I was in high school. Um, that's what got my scholarship into college. Like a lot of people really think that. Sprinting was really got me to where I'm at. Yeah, hurling got me in the door. Yeah, so I used to emulate Edwin Moses. Mm-hmm. When I made the Olympic team for the first year, the first two people I wanted to meet was Gail Devers and Alan Johnson. Yeah, mm-hmm. like when Gail went down. Remember when Gail went down in in '04? I know, right? I know. Yeah, like, I wanted to run on the track. I wanted yeah. to run on the track and save her, dog, yeah. because she was she was such a a a a, a inspiration for me. Fact. Same thing she with was. Alan. Like they were such inspirations for me when I mm-hmm. turned pro. And then I wouldn't actually, even run. I wouldn't even doing hurdles then. That's right. And I mean, it's just a, the swag that he carried too, right? Mm-hmm. It's the way that he conducted himself. And I think that's what the most powerful thing for me w- with him was, is the fact that he stayed poised all the time. And he was graceful in defeat. He fell in Athens. And, and was that 04 as well? Yeah, Athens? yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? He was easily going to win that year. You know what I'm saying? Had that full bodysuit on with the shades. You remember mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. Was running, rolling out, got the fifth, fifth hurdle, I think clip five. Fell, slid all the way to six. Body suit opened up, glasses flew put the, off. Put the glasses up. Yeah, the infamous picture where he just puts his head on his on his uh on his hands and just like shakes his head like, "Dane, yeah. this just really just happened." Yeah. But the fact to see how he actually handled it in defeat was showed me like, okay, there's a balance to this. It's not just about winning. Like he. He, he understands that that's just part of the game. Yeah. You know what I mean? He lived in the technique. He lived it. And he that's why I, I, I could trust everything that he told me because it was just like, man, he, 
he's been there multiple mm-hmm. times. Like he knows exactly what he's saying. Just, just listen to this man yeah. and trust it. And even if it's a weird feeling for you, go with it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. that's and that's honestly what I took with me. Um, and that was was basically what initially sparked me getting put in my papers to actually go run for Germany. So that's where. So it meanwhile, he's running. What was you doing at that time that you felt like where you where you start segue into coaching or? Yeah, what was you feeling? I was in college, and then you know I had a rough situation in college. Like I, I went to U of H. Coach Burrell was a, a new coach, and he wasn't very good. You know, shout out to Coach Burrell, I love you. Uh, but he even said that to me. He told me on the plane when we was heading to Prefontaine when I saw you. He told me that I wasn't a good coach, but I was just growing as an athlete. Uh, I ended up going to multiple schools, um, and I was coaching. I think uh, I started coaching in '02, so I was in high school. I started coaching and then- um, So you got the coaching bug early then. I knew I wasn't going to do the running forever. Like I I had a vision bigger than that. I'm a long-term per- thinker. Yeah. Like as a, sounds retarded, it sounds crazy, but this is true. My mom told me as a child, like I was in the marketing career. She was like, Junior, you need to be a good husband, a good father. You need to do this and do this. And like, I'm literally in my mind putting a checklist in my mind. Like, all right, when I grow up, I'm going to do this, do this. You know what I mean? And then I found out my dad was an athlete. So I, I told myself in the room one night, I said, like, well, I got to be an athlete now. Hey, got to add that to the list. Got to put that on the list now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Cause he gonna, he, need a, he need to be proud of his son. He got a son. Let me let me make my dad proud. I can't even be a grown man without my dad proud. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Come on now, y'all know that's true though. If you're a boy, you yeah, know that's that facts. That's you know how that is. That's a real thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I worked hard for that. But like during that time, I had a, uh, I was transferring schools, I had a lot of situations, but I was coaching the fastest people in the world at that time. And it sounds crazy, like collegiates and youth at that time. Um, and how did I get to that? Man, you part of that. You part of the conversation is like, I, I was started track in high school and I understood, I was watching the videos of like Brendan Christian, uh, all the dudes that ran in high school with us, Brendan Christian, uh, Jeremy Werner, Darryl Williamson, mm-hmm. Kelly Willie. Uh, it was a gang, bro. We, we we came out the go- yeah. We came out the Goldilocks zone. You know what I'm saying? At yeah. that time, like the most amount of Olympic, two time Olympians came out came of the, out our of year. year. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, 2003, 2004. Yeah, 2006. That whole yeah. era, that four year era. Yeah, pocket, and it know? was the Goldilocks zone of track yeah. and field. The best times of all best times until recent times now. Mm-hmm. So like, we had a we had to see we got to see a plethora of greatness around us where you can start to see that certain cast is running a certain way and doing certain things in common to re- achieve a successful result. Mm. So I started to put those things in, in play. I started to put little pieces. I said, well, damn, they all running straight with their arms like this. Well, damn, they all big arms in the start. I'm just starting to put little pieces together. And I'm like, well, damn, there's angles here. And I'm starting to put physics to it now. And so I'm just starting to add it together. Then I started doing research. And that's really what I was doing while he was going through all of this. Mm-hmm. I was learning. I was still running in college per se, but I'm gonna be very matter of fact to everybody and let's be transparent. I hope my dad don't catch on to this. But um, man, I was just, I knew that I wanted to be fast, but I knew I was never gonna be you. You get what I'm saying? Understand. And, and I, so I, I didn't take the approach of I'm trying to be you, like, oh, I'm trying to be I'm trying to be mm. this. I took the approach of I'm gonna find the, 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 fat, the best way of getting to the point where I could be the fastest. And I'm gonna continue to teach people this way as I go. Mm-hmm. I had a bigger picture of yeah. passing it along. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, my biggest benefit, and I'm gonna be real honest with you, I never wanted to be an athlete. I always 
I wanted to be an athlete when I found out my dad was an athlete. But what I wanted to be is who I am now. But you understood the clarity of your path. You knew that it was going to take you thus so far. Mm-hmm. But then you had you took it in your hands to take it even further because yeah. you knew what it what it needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I knew there was a gap because if I'm having this problem and then everybody else that I'm seeing having the same issue, which is technique, mm-hmm. people there was no congruent technical style back then. Back in your days when you first was getting out, you and a few others were the were the pioneers of some technical aspects. Yeah, low hip recovery. Uh, solid projection angles, consistent projection angles at, at the first three, four steps. You know what I mean? Like these are specific things that didn't come in until right around y'all time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like there was OGs just running raw ham, being slow. <laughs> you athlete now. I mean, you athlete now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they, be, they be them cats that, yeah, that was yeah. winning out there. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. No technical aspects and just be pulling and running and yeah. running, running. Our, our generation, that area, especially in sprinting, was like it was so. It was so new because hell, the drive phase just got just got started. Just got started. Marius Green just came in with the drive phase and just changed the whole game. Yeah. And you know, we, I was doing a lot of more of a, a hinge technique, mm-hmm. moving from the hip. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it was like da 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 instead of having a real fluid more cycle that they have mm-hmm. now. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. what we're teaching now. Exactly. Yeah. So, but it got the job done then. It did. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, you had an eye for it then, man. You definitely yeah. had an eye early on you, and you watched over time. And a lot of coaches get set in their ways mm. and they get scared of changing and evolving as a coach yeah. that they get set in their ways and they, be, they become obsolete and their system becomes obsolete. Like it takes a brave individual to say, okay, we did that. Now we're going to do this now. And that's, I got to go back and learn and now I can apply it and teach you how to do this correctly. I just talked with, <laughs> talk with Arian Knighton. Um, Coach J Dot. Mm-hmm. So J Dot's is the original coach. Now he works with Holloway and J Dot together, right? And we had a conversation, and that's exactly what he said. He was just describing how, you know, with you know, with Arion and where he's at now, for him to become greater, it's not always just about, you know, doing not just what you've done in the past, but taking what you've done in the past and you've seen its work, amplifying what's effective. And finding more efficient ways to make the things that are not the most optimum more optimum. So, like, we just had a discussion, and it's so crazy. And because it has to do with the pro track scene, and you know, obviously, we're gonna talk a little bit about that. Is that tracks? The older track coaches from the past, specifically, probably co- old collegiate coaches and stuff like that, that seen great success over a twenty-year span, usually or fifteen to twenty-year span, three, four Olympics, right? Those individuals have so much accolade. There's no more contention in their in their career path for them to drive as hard as it would be for somebody like me or him or you, because they've already established their resume, and then they can stand upon that. They can just say, "Hey, I've done this before. I can just I can stand on that." Yeah. Where this sport is not based like that. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna break a world record. It's 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 based off of some grit. It's gonna be off some hunger and some starvation. Oh, absolutely. So mm-hmm. like if, if if you fool, and that's how a lot of these older coaches that are really sponsored up and really owning the game and, and monopolizing the game at the moment, those individuals will not push people that are the fastest to become the world record holder. They'll only keep them warm enough to be medalists. Mm. I got you. I got you. So I know I'm going to jump ahead with this question because you made a really good point. And both of you have done a really good job when it comes to coaching youth athletes to become more elite at their level. 
And then they're shining at the next level, going to college and some of them turning pros. How do you pace a young athlete like an Aryan, right? You look at Aryan, and I, sometimes I'm looking, I'm like, man, he can do this, this, and this. But at 18, 17 years old, how do you say, okay, I'm going to give him a little bit of this, but I ain't going to give him all of it because I need him to get a little older. So where do you find that gray area or that nice area where you say, he's young, I can't push him because he's a grown, grown man yet. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, he's super talented that he needs to be in front and we need to make sure he's consistently in front. How do you, how do, you do that? I'll start with that. Yeah. Um, the, the biggest key concept for that is honestly first just really knowing your athlete. If you know your athlete, you know what you can do now and you know what you can save for later. And I think that's probably, and we'll probably lead into this, that's probably one of the biggest things that we possess here in our group. It's a fact that we, can, we know, you know I mean? Regardless if it's even a younger athlete like, like Zara saying, hey, we, gotta, we just got to play piano for now because what's the point of accelerating her through this? There's not going to be nothing left for her to get to. Maybe we burn her out and she doesn't even run anymore. So with Arian, and, and from my opinion, I feel like he should just, you know, that they've already established that he can run 19-4. It's been established that you can do that. Yeah. So the first thing that you do is kind of like what Will was saying, you, you know what works for him and you know the things that he's still lacking. And just at that point, just say, okay, for this next year, uh, my, my strict goal for you is to establish that one thing. I wouldn't even dive into two or three things. I would say this one thing, I just want to get a little bit better because everything else is already working. If we're running 19-4. That's factual. We're already doing a o lot right. Opening the season. Opening the season. See, what a 19 for. See, now you about to make me jump in, okay? I just had this exact conversation less than 20 minutes ago with J. Dot, uh, and he is coach. Mm -hmm. And he said the same thing. He said, how in the hell are we open up 19-4, and then we go a whole season the next year and can't even do 19, barely doing 1960-something. You know what I'm saying? So what I'm getting at, and this is where I think, and the same thing, I'm going to piggyback with you. Mm -hmm. You know what got you in 19-4. Why didn't we do... At least about 85% of that, right? And it made adjustment on the 15% where we felt like there was some, like, I'm going to be real. I know what his flaws is. He got start issues. He's got start issues. He don't have a pace issue. He's one of the fastest 200 off the turn, coming off the turn range pace, period. He's Absolutely. actually past pace. Mm -hmm. He's actually don't make sense because it starts so whack. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? So it's like, if he could, and it ain't It's hard. a lot of energy that he's, uh, he's shooting out. And that's wasted. I'm gonna look in the camera because shit. I'm, I, can, I can do that. Hold yeah. on, your camera, your camera. Go ahead, right there. Look, or right here. In the game, in track and field, back in the days, there were individuals who did what they were good at. There's some people who were start coaches. You remember when John Drummond was just a start man? Mm -hmm. They would send people out to do a drum. Work on your start. Just get starts. They they wouldn't train with Drummond all year. They would just starts. Mm -hmm. So what we're saying is that these. Kids often who have, or these athletes who have deficits and sign with shoe contracts with shoe companies have to go in certain places, but it's not the place where it fits that issue that the kid may have or that deficit. You should go to a place where a, a coach is technical if you're lacking technical aspects. Mm -hmm. You should go to a place where the coach has seen success in energy systems, mm -hmm. aka uh, who do the four? Gary, uh, Gary Evans does the four, right? Yeah. There's a couple of coaches out here doing the four are successful. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So like, there's places where you go where you fit because your deficit is their strength. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel like it should go, but it doesn't go that way. It goes by what fits the shoe people. 
the way that they wanted to be done. Politics. Politics. Yeah, politics. Politics. It, it exactly. ain't about performance per se. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's about relationships. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like you can't, uh, especially with a new move like that, when you're transitioning an athlete to another coach as well, um, you got to be really mindful and knowing that, you know, we have an old saying, <laughs> you know, if, if, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Right. Well, we, 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 for example, that use Jeremiah. Yeah. But what I'm saying is that's why, like, like, that's why you don't, if you know that this already works, I'm not, I'm going to probably, even if I have something that I want to adopt eventually with him, exactly. I'm not going to do that my first transitional year with him. I'm going to take, I'm going to speak with, obviously with J-Dot. I yeah. don't know if they did. Maybe they did. And be like, okay, um, tell me what what led him to y'all being able to do this. And then I'm going to see what one thing that I can implement yeah. for this just this season. And then we're going to see how that plays. It's like a little sample of it. And then that, that'll show me, without him losing the integrity of how he's running, mm -hmm. that'll show me if I can, can add a little bit more. Or maybe I need to probably stay a little bit more to this style and just tweak a little bit as we go year to year. And understand that it's a longer project because this kid's at the very, very beginning of his career. Just because he ran 19.4 doesn't mean we just have to get to 19.3 or 19.2. Not right, right now. Away. Not right now, no. You know? So I think, I think the whole goal, I think if I put it this way, if I could have controlled that situation, right? Mm -hmm. And he was one of my kids, right? And we, we had to make this handoff to Holloway or something like that. Mm -hmm. I would have prayed that, you know, we would have did like, like we're doing now with, with the kids we have. Like the pros that sign with us now. You know how we do it. Yeah. We'll call your coach. And we'll call him, and, and I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm gonna, if you were successful there, and you were extraordinarily injured, and you had a, a, a solid showing there, and it brought you to the level that you, that brought you to me, mm -hmm. I'm gonna have some questions, and I'm gonna have there be detailed questions about how did you get to him to this point? If he was, you got him from this point, because that's gonna give me a big clue and an indicator of how I can get to the next point. Because certain style of athletes, certain athletes are more speed endurance, mm -hmm. and at a certain range, some some athletes are more uh, special endurance. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And some athletes are, are 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 a certain style of technical run where you have to work on certain things. Yeah. So it's like we have to go back to the past to move towards the future. And most individuals that are older who have these titled names, Olympic coaches, and all that, their pride. It's killing the ass. That, it's killing that, them. Yeah, that that, that is probably them. the biggest factor. You don't like, want to admit to the guy that yeah. made the guy that good. You want to be like, you want to be like, I've been doing this, so I think this is how I we got it do. from here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, got yeah. this. Yeah, I got this. Yeah. Instead of call the guy up front and say, "Man, you did a great job." What do you think is his deficit? Yeah. What do you see? I mean, that's what we did with Jeremiah. Exactly. Is that what? That's what we did. But is that is that easy? Always though. Do you do you always get that open door with? coaches who have worked with athletes and now the athletes are working with you, are you able to pick that phone up and say, hey, coach, let me know a little bit about the athlete. Is it is it a community like that? Or is it more of an individual where they're like, hey, now you got him. I don't want you to make him better than what he is when he's with me because that shows that you're a better coach. Talking about from a pro setting or a college setting? Both. Okay. Uh, from a college setting, they rock with us. So we rock with everybody that's in the city. If we send a kid to a, somewhere, that means we with you. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. then we already done work together mm -hmm. in a way and we're affiliated and we trust each other. And if that trust is broken, then we're going to have to, you know, obviously, you know, redo things, obviously. But as long as we have that trust, yeah, we're going to grow from a pro setting style. I, I don't think so. No, because outside of the ones, the things that we are part of now, 
we're only going to take on things in that manner because we believe that is the way. I think the problem in the breakdown of economy of pro track and field, specifically sprinting and hurling in these events, is that too many monopolized coaches are 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 being not incentivized to become progressive for their athletes. They're just being gifted a, a, a plethora of, of of talent coming out of college and hoping that some of these people make it and some of these people won't, right? That's not the wave. We believe that it should be multiple coaches who are great at what they do. So if you do technique, do technique. If you good at strength training, do strength training. If you good at hurdles, you hurdle. You know what I'm saying? So I'm gonna play devil's advocate here okay. with that one. Because usually when you are a coach who is backed by a sponsor, right? Yeah. You don't always get to say anymore. Mm -hmm. Like you gonna get that phone call, and that phone call says, "Hey, you got to pick up athlete A." Mm -hmm. Well, I don't want to have athlete A. He don't fit good into my system um, uh, physically. He's not the kind of athlete I use. I want to train, and character wise, he gonna be a virus to my group. Mm -hmm. Sponsor is gonna say, "I don't care." Yeah, we signed him, big bucks. He's an investment. You're an investment. He needs to come to where you at. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So that's what you're dealing with sometimes. You're dealing with some of these coaches who are working with athletes necessarily that they wouldn't have handpicked themselves. So now they got to work with them. Now, over time, you become a good coach. Yeah. You, 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 more you gain more accolades. You get more leverage. Yeah. You get a little more like, yeah, nah. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Along the way. But it, like you said, it's, it's a numbers game. Mm -hmm. Because when even when I was coming up, I remember my coach saying, it was, he was sitting on a group of us. It was 13 of us. And he was cussing us out. Mm -hmm. I don't need all y'all. I just need one of y'all to get it done. Oh, I know. He's talking about already. One of y'all to get it done. <laughs> I didn't know who it You is. know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, but it wasn't no lie, though. Yeah. He was telling the straw truth. Yeah, it was facts. true. It's like, for me to be able to, to, to ascend to a different coaching level, yeah. all I need is one of y'all to be on top of that podium exactly. and to give me that recognition. Yeah. So, yeah. I lovely if it's five of y'all. Amazing if it's 10 of y'all. Mm -hmm. But one of y'all is going to get the job done. But I want to give you a good example. Larry Wade. Shout out Larry Wade. All right? Coach Larry Wade is the only coach to do what he's doing right now in the sport of boxing. He's the only one. He's the only certified strength coach by the boxing association mm. in the whole boxing association. He's the only certified strength coach. Certified strength coach. He took the concept, and we talk about this, and the same concept that, that they should be able to apply for track. You have to be free before you can become free. So you have to be free. Free of your mind. Free in your mind. So he did all this stuff free. For a whole year and a half. For a year and a half, almost two years, mm -hmm. but free. I'm talking about really doing this for free. I'm talking about training professional boxers who make real money for free to prove that he can be effective enough to be paid, so paid that he never would ever go back to a track. And he, I, mean, I don't want to tell his, I don't want to tell you much. You had to show his worth. But mm -hmm. he's he's valuable. He's one of the highest paid yeah. individuals in any strength and conditioning positions in the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying is this, he's able to achieve that in the same way that we're going to be able to achieve what we're achieving in the same way that I think other pro coaches should be able to achieve what they achieve. So let's, let's talk about freedom. that. Let's talk about that. Because you're talking about, you know, Coach Larry Way's uh, uh, ideology. What brought y'all together? What was the conversations that y'all had that sparked the idea of creating Hurdle Science, Fast University, pretty much the Fast Family? And what kind of ideology, morals um, that y'all sit on and that y'all use and, and kind of pour into your athletes? Yeah, I mean, we started off with, you know, 
with me, you know, me and my father, I started off coaching and then I became, you know, progressively good at what I did. We've developed elite athletes, you know, that's normal. I mean, coaches have done that in the past, but my biggest thing in my concept with Fast University was I need to find a way to share this information with other individuals who are limited. Like, like I gave you the story about how I learned how to do the sprinting game and how to become a sprinter as myself. I saw myself and I see myself and everybody else that I coach. Also coaches who are looking to become a coach as well and help other people get to where they're at. Because as an individual who coach other athletes, you see yourself in your athlete every time. Mm -hmm. So like for me, I felt that for one, I come from a poor background. A lot of this information was withheld from us. You had to either study it hard and be on the internet looking for, know these coaches and been to a clinic, which is back then they didn't even have those, you know what I'm saying? So you really just had to be really just researching. So I wanted to make that more applicable and more available for everybody across the across the you know the world. You know, with that, I had to study marketing. And I recognized that a lot of individuals with great value weren't being um sustainable because they weren't being seen. They weren't getting the attention that they deserved, or or I feel like that would have put them in a position that they could have been effective and impactful, right? The win or loss to find who they were. Actually, so you didn't see what their character really was. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, when I was watching the track and field sport, you know, growing up in the Morris Green era was, you know, there's some showmanship to this. And then the Usain Bolt era, and then obviously you was in there as well. What I liked and what I seen over time and what I recognized was nobody's lasting as a sprinter. Nobody's, the sport is not giving what every other sport gives everybody else, you know, which is a lasting respect and equity value that lasts over time. And it's something that's like an economy that reinvests back into the athlete. Like it holds some weight being an MLB or having MLB as an experience because you can literally just be a pitching coach or a, or a batting coach, bro, and make a, a quarter of a meal. Bro, that's how much they pay those guys, right? Yeah. To do that. Where in the track and field sport, let's just say you happen to be a really good coach on the, let's just say the high school level, you still just getting paid under a hundred bands, right? Yeah. Where if you're uh, back before whenever we were growing up, you could be a top level college coach and you were making under 200 bands or something like that, 150, 180 bands back in the days. Now you got Flo making 700, Carol making 1 million, doing crazy numbers, right? So like that's pushing the economy and pushing the wave to where there's a economy to where somebody can make a career path so people can become a pro, retire, get back to the sport. It's a cycle. There was no cycle for sprinters and hurdlers. There was no cycle. It was like- It was a conveyor belt. It was, mm -hmm. yeah. whoop, you off. Yeah, 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 yeah. Unless Next. you become, awesome. yeah. unless you yeah. made a real living to where your living can now open up opportunities where you could do real estate, where you can do other things because you had financial backing to do things. The 1%, the 1%. You and others, yeah. you and others, right? So what I'm saying is, is that, how do we change that? That was my biggest thing. You know, I was like, how do I change that? Because I have uh, kids and I want to look my kid in the eye and say, yo, the thing that your dad do, if you like what I'm doing and what I'm invested into, this might be a good profession for you. But it wasn't available for me to say that to my child because I didn't truly believe that. But as I do what I do now, and that's my whole goal and that's where we're at, that's the whole thing about this. We're looking to make it to where the economy of track and field, the economy of speed and all this stuff and about being fast, that's something that people can make a, a career path out of. That's something that, you know, we can help 
families all over the world change their trajectory through the concepts that we have. And we've already done it, but we want to make it more accessible. Also, we, we have to create the style of it, the culture. Our, our sports culture, because of the individuals who led it and the individuals who funded it and who controlled the economy, it was controlled by these shoe companies, controlled by different individuals who told us how track and field was supposed to be seen, how speed was supposed to be seen, when in actuality, it's a beautiful thing, this track and field thing. It's a small community. It's a, it's a village. It's a huge village across the world. Everybody knows each other. Everybody understands each other and they care for each other in a, in a way. You know what I mean? And it's a respect because everybody's waking up every day, stretching, lifting, running, and going through the pain. We can relate to the pain that we go through to go through the sport. So like these are the things that we want to represent for a lifetime. And these are things that I feel like should be promoted and amplified in track and field, not just 9.5, 19.1, 46-something for a female time. Bro, man, you can keep breaking records all day, but I want to know the people that's doing it. And it's not so. even just that. It's just like these kids are that come into the game now. They're taught that success is actually whatever your check is going to be. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these kids are thinking about get the bag, get the bag, get the bag, get the check, get the check, get the checks. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're omitting the glory that comes with competing and trying to run faster and trying to see what your, your limits are mm -hmm. and trying to break past that. When you do that, that's when you become 1% because you're not worried about getting money because the more you run, the faster you run, all that's going to, going to be thrown at you. Yep, you know what exactly. I mean? Yeah, And so basically what, to what brought us together was the fact that it first just started with an athlete. So Will reached out to me because of Simone. Um, Cause I guess, you know, he had been, you know, she you started coaching her. She's a hurdler. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I think he just reached out to get some information about, okay, what can I implement? So he ended up calling me. Um, I basically sent him a video and I think it kind of just, you know, I remember this. I remember yeah, you talking about the video. It kind of just took off from there. I mean, mm -hmm. like I, I, I was like, okay, well, let me, how can I give him this information to make it as clear as possible? Right. Cause you know, I know hurdles can be complex. Right. So I said, let me show him, just let me just send him a video so he can kind of get an idea of what I mean. I mean, he could kind of speak on. on yeah. yeah. I've seen the video and you know, y'all know the story, but man, I, I seen the video in the moment that I seen it, I'll be busy all the time. I really don't be tripping off stuff. So it's, things don't really shock me. Seen the video and I said, oh shit. I dropped the phone. I said, <laughs> Lord Jesus. And I, I said, man, Lord, you just work in amazing ways. And I, I just got on the floor. I just started praying. I said, God, don't let me mess this up. You know, I, I could just feel it. You know, this is what you're talking about. This is, what, this is what's going to change everything. This is what we've been waiting on. Because prior to him coming, I had already been praying and we've already been knowing and me and Greg for almost seven months, we've been foreshadowing like there's going to be a hurdle coach that's going to come here. It's going to change everything we do or she's going to change whatever we do. It's going to change everything because this is what the game needs. It needs the hurdles. We need to do this. You know, I felt it. It was something that God was reminding me of. Fast forward, he showed me that video, instantaneously felt it, had to pray. So I got on the phone with him, didn't say no words about me, him joining me. I could provide something to you. There's a payment here. There's how much is you going? It was none of that. It was simply, this is my team. This is, this is how we work together. These are the principles we stand on. This is what I believe in. Die mm -hmm. hard. You know, win, lose, a draw, I'm going to live like this. And I'm willing to die for this. 
That's all I want to tell you. I don't know what you got going. I don't even know who you really are, per se, over there. Mm. But I felt like God was telling me to tell you this with no hose bar. I don't know what you're going to do. And I just, mm. I said, just, but, you know, just call me later about this training and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Because I want, I need some training. Man, the dude called me three days and said, yo, I just talked with the people at Germany. I'm resigning. I'm coming with you. We doing this for life. I said, well, let's do it. Yeah. Just like that. Yes, sir. Just like that. That was in December. <laughs> I was here by July. So you finished your professional career, ran for Germany, right? Mm -hmm. Then you transitioned to becoming a German hurdle coach, right? And the best in the game mm -hmm. that Germany has ever seen. Thanks. What made you leave such a comfortable situation with people on the outside looking in and saying, man, you got it, dog. You went from being a professional coach, running for this country. Now this country has opened its arms up to you and said, coach our next generation. Why did you say, I'm going to pack up everything, move back across the world, back to basically where you started at, right? Mm. And say, here I am with no real price tag attached to it. Because I always felt a sense of emptiness with it. It's, it's nothing, I think, worse than waking up every day. And it's something that you enjoy to do, but you just don't feel fulfilled doing it. And just that it wasn't being valued, you know? Like mm -hmm. every year, I, I, you know, at least for the first few years, I told myself, eventually they'll, you know, it'll come. They'll start to see what I'm putting in. That's why I'm going to work my butt off so they can see. I'm serious. I'm trying to build something here. That's something they never had before because I am the X factor because I've been in two different systems. I know how a winning system looks like from the U.S. You know what I'm saying? But I also understand the mindset and the culture of, these, of the German people. You know, these are engineers. These are very intelligent people. Mm. They build some of the most amazing things from a, techno techno uh, a technology standpoint, right? They have some of the best cars. They have everything out there. Yeah. Um, but... So I, I knew how, exactly how I needed to maneuver it, but they weren't really actively listening. So I'm, you know, I'm producing these results year in, year out. I mean, I'm getting title after title because they love titles, right? Title after title after title. Always have, you know, top five in the world. Any of my athletes that are pro down to, you know, youth. Um, and it's just like, man, they're not really understanding though. And it just, it just started eating at me at some point. The politics were just too heavy. Yeah. And I was like, look, if we're not going to make any, any kind of move, you know, I've came up with this concept. It took me eight months to create a concept for y'all that's age-appropriate training all the way from like 10, 11 years old, all the way up. It took me a long time to do that. Mm. I've told you exactly that I needed these kind of, I need this and this many camps a year. I need to make sure that we use, utilize different locations. We have all these different Olympic training centers throughout Germany. We need to put a, a, a actual, uh, if they're going to continue to do school here, since I don't want them to leave the state, the, the, the country, because they didn't want anybody to come over here, right? Or they don't have control. At least that's what they felt like. Um, then we need to make sure that we have a package deal, you know, with what colleges they can go to in these big cities. Yeah. So I wanted the whole thing. I had a whole concept written out for that. And so fast forward is just like, I did all this work for them to still not understand it. And, and the whole time I'm sitting there, like I'm stuck in this loop, you know, I just couldn't get out of it. I mean, we're in year, like I'm, I was almost like in year seven or eight and just like, man, wow. this is, this is crazy. You know, I got my whole family over here. We weren't even supposed to do all this. You know, I was supposed to have been back home and, it's, it's, and, I, and I felt it too, because in 2016, it was, it was a year that I actually came back after five years. I hadn't even seen my family. 
You know what I mean? Wow. Five years. And then I, you know, came down here, went back home. And then, yeah, that, that call with Will happen, the connection with Will happen. And, you know, I've already, obviously we already know each other. And the thing is we connected on the right principles. Like I knew talking to him and nothing felt forced. You know what I'm saying? Like people may not believe it, but it was like that. It was mm-hmm. not forced mm-hmm. at all. There's things, there's certain things that you force in your life sometimes, <laughs> but that was just one of those things that wasn't. We ain't never had to force anything. In the moment that I got off of the phone, I looked at my wife, I said, babe, this is we gotta go. <laughs> I don't know how you feel. Obviously, you know, you've been my road dog all these years. You know what I'm saying? I'm going on 19 years of marriage yeah. in December. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's a long time. Shout out, shout out. Shout out. Rachel. Rachel. To Rachel. Okay. She a real one. Yeah. So being how she always is, she looked at me, she said, What you need? I'm with it. That's right. What do you need me to do? And then that kind of like solidified it. And then so for me, and, and the crazy thing about it is this is the next crazy thing. I knew what was gonna come with it. I knew people were not going to understand. And because that, that, that was the reality of it. We had to like, he didn't mind. I didn't mind. Did nobody mind? And I'm going to be real. Nobody knew what we were about to do. Like everybody sees it now. Like, oh, this is awesome. Was so <laughs> wonderful. Like I, who wouldn't have brought you guys together? Like, like a lot of people wouldn't have brought us together, bro. You know what I mean? But we saw it. We knew it. We felt it, but the good thing about him, because we've tried to bring other people on, you you wanted people that's on now, so you know how it yeah. is to get on. I, I had the same situation, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I talked to Nice, I was like, look, man, this this is resonating in my soul. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I could have easily got another job, a coaching job exactly. somewhere. Mm-hmm. I had money actually on the table. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? From sponsors, they were like, look, we gonna pay you right now, you can come coach over here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I saw what it was like to get up every day, to go out to the track, mm-hmm. to physically be there and not be around people who necessarily don't want to be there mm-hmm. or they're all individuals mm-hmm. who are looking for their individual mm-hmm. success, right? Yep. And I just felt like I did 20 years of track and field as an athlete. I ain't trying to do another 20 years of this. Nah, that exactly. same kind of energy as a coach. Yep. So when I started like, Understand exactly what you guys are doing. Yeah. Saw you at uh, what was it, Palo Alto? What was that? Yeah, that yeah, was Palo, Palo Alto. Alto right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Ran to you in Palo Alto. You showed me love there in person. That was the first yeah. time we we saw each other. Really no, that was the first time in person. Yeah. So I was like, man, you know, what I'm saying this boy, this dude didn't rock me for a while. He was happy to see me. Yeah. It started like clicking in my head. So as I started like landing that plane when it came to retirement, I was like, well, what I'm gonna do next? Mm-hmm. You know what's crazy was. <laughs> You know, I was always in at the bar with Lou Ellen. Remember, he was trying to court me and my kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, man, you was over there by yourself. Remember, you sitting by yourself over there. And in my mind, I literally said this to myself. I said, man, I'm dying to tell you about what I'm about to do. But that's like, this ain't the time. I could feel like I know eventually I'm going to get a chance to show him what this is like. And that's what it was, bro. You didn't have to, like, explain to me. Yeah. Remember, we reached out. Mm-hmm. I talked to you. I said, I like what you got going on. Mm-hmm. And then you explained it then to me. Mm-hmm. But I was already sold on it. Yeah, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, I was yeah. already like, oh, this is this is where it's at. Mm-hmm. So I, like you said, went home. You was like, this is going to be it. It's going to be it. And, that, and I mean, it's the best decision I ever made. You know what I mean? Yeah, facts. Like, for real. Because it's a family. It's a family. It's it not, is. I, most things in life, and I hate to say it, but it's just, it's just straight up true. Yeah. Every, a lot of stuff is just transactional, man. It is. Yeah. You, you get tired of the transactional. You get tired of like, who's really in my corner? Like, I'm only getting older. I'm not getting no younger. <laughs> so I want to be able to, whatever success I am about to dive into, or where I'm going to refocus my energy, let's yeah. say it like that. Mm-hmm. I want to do it with a, 
a family. I want to do it with a group of individuals that I know I can celebrate at the top. Facts. Yeah. It's bigger. I keep, we keep saying it. It's bigger than us. It's, it's way, way bigger It's, it's not about us. It's about the unity that we bring, the, the wave that we're creating that, sh that is in hopes of all going to push everybody else to understand that there's different ways to do exactly. this. Yeah. You know what I mean? So successes has been obtained. It's still on the rise. Mm -hmm. How many kids have y'all had in your program that has gone on to like get scholarships or uh, the professional athletes that y'all working with mm -hmm. have gone on to do a better season since working with you guys? Do y'all have a number in your mind? Can y'all think? Well, I mean, I can just go off of my two years that I've just been here. <laughs> um, I think I've done something or we've done something that hadn't been done, right? I mean, we were the first year being here. We were able to break the 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 Texas state record in the three hundred hurdles. Yeah, and then one of the fastest of all time, number three all time, right? Or four? Yeah, number three or four all time. So Simone, like I said, with that forty point six, she ran. You know, what I'm saying that record. I think then that record was standing about since two thousand years, sixteen, seventeen years, yeah, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah, and then Riley just broke that. And then Riley just backdoored that thing the next year. Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying. So for so you, you can't sit there and say it was and then, a luck. And thing. we had a hundred percent every single year since we've been here. We had a hundred percent our collegiate signing. Yeah. yeah. So our whole program signed every yeah. year. And I'm, we're talking about like. A whole, five schools. A, a whole, yeah. I, I yes. don't want to say everybody think it's yeah, like you no, know, this ain't schools. no, this ain't JUCO. We talking about Georgia. We talking about Mississippi State. We talking yes. about USC. Ohio, USC, Ohio State. Ohio Shout out State. to Joel Brown. Mississippi you know, State. So yeah, so yeah. You, have, you have real athletes who have gone on to gain scholarships to further their career yeah. with the possibility of doing something even bigger and better mm -hmm. past Yeah, like over so, a lifetime, probably like, man, for me, just different, multiple sports, probably like, 400, 300, at yeah. least more. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And as far as pros, man, it's at least 100 to 200 pros we work with from different sports. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, it's not about being the greatest, I guess, in this. For us, it's more or less like we offer something that's necessary for even anybody in any sport. If you're a professional, youth or whatever, we're providing that experience, that process and that support, that family that should come with sport anyways. Mm -hmm. and a lot of times it's neglected in sport. A lot of times these individuals, as they get higher, they get more alienated from the people that truly care for them. And they have to kind of keep a filter and keep a distance from other individuals to protect themselves from people who may want to take advantage and do things of that nature. So our goal is to make sure that we provide a wholesome thing that they can always be a part of, that they feel safe. Something that always seems normal as you travel into this next spectrum of your life where mm -hmm. you are famous, where you are notable, where people know what you are and who you are and what you represent. It, it brings a whole new responsibility. We want to keep things somewhat normalized for you as you go through this process. Yeah. A lot of times these guys get to this high place and then they get dropped the hell off and they don't know how to manage their life after that. And that's when you see the drugs, the painkillers, you see the, the losing of the money, the divorces and all these families being broken up. And it just has to deal with not traveling well enough on the ups and the downs. The yeah. ups be too high and the downs be too low. Yeah, I got you. So what's the next step? What's the next step for hurdle science? Fast University, the whole Fast family, what, what are we looking and what is the audience going to see in the next couple of years, five years? What, what, what are we doing? Well, what we're trying to do now, or what we're in the process of doing. I'm asking like, I don't know, but I know. Yeah, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm just keeping it quiet. <laughs> just honestly, we, we already kind of started the wave on expanding upon the mindset of it not being just a one-sided thing. We got to stop thinking. Track. Track. We got to stop thinking 
football. We got to, we have to start thinking more. So how do I, or how do we assist these athletes, regardless of young or older and families and families, how to invest into themselves, how to self-sustain themselves. And by giving them these different avenues or funnels um, to establish that, it'll open up the door for them to do what they love to do anyway. So, and get back to that feeling that I think it brought all of us to a sport anyway. It's just saying, hey, I'm really just here to enjoy the sport, right? When you were little, you weren't thinking about a paycheck like that. You were just out there happy to- Just love it. it Give it your best shot. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what sports should be. It shouldn't be like, you know, and you hear it all the time. And, and I'm going to say it like this. You hear it all the time, too, when you say, hey, I'd much rather watch a college football game than an NFL game. Mm-hmm. Dion's even said that. There's a lot more on the line, yeah. you know. Why? Them. Because they're they're trying to still make it. They're trying to make they're it. They're playing like they're still trying they're to hungry. make it. Mm-hmm. They're hungry. They're passionate. When you lose the hunger, yeah. you lose it. You lose it all. So I think that's one thing that we're able to, amongst the talents that we have in our group, that we're going to be able to mold um, into the into the people that we work with to allow them that access, you know, of being unlimited. Yeah, I, th- I think you know, for one, it's just the future is really bright. You know, you here now, and things have gotten more unlimited. You know what I'm saying? More unlimited. Shout and out to Gat. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but no, seriously, like you know, it's going to be a lot of great things that we have coming up from a media standpoint, um, making this more entertaining for folks. Uh, making sure that we're supporting the athletes and making the sport of track and field an athlete-friendly sport mm. where the athlete and the coach, it can be friendly to both of those individuals. And then also just supporting other athletes who need help in other sports who are limited as well, like sledding and other things that may need resources and you, you want to be faster, we're going we're gonna to collaborate. So expect you know new collaborations with things that have to deal with just being faster. So I'm going to just leave it at that. Well, you heard it there, y'all. This is another episode of Ready, Set, Go. These two guys, man, they pour their blood, they pour their heart out into it, blood, sweat, and tears into coaching, understanding the process, and also helping athletes obtain their goals and their dreams and supporting families on the next levels to get where they need to go to. You want to get with real good coaches, people who really going to care about you through the whole process, this is where you need to go. Y'all want to give y'all handles, Instagram. At Hurdle Science. Ash University on all platforms. You know what time it is. And you can check me out at, as you know, at Justin Gadlin or Bass Unlimited. Now that's where I'm at. So ready, set, go. Another one in the books. We appreciate you listening and watching. Stay tuned for another episode coming up soon. All right. We out.